am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and it is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? All right, we'll dismiss our school aides to head to the back. And as they're doing that, if you haven't already, let me invite you to open your Bibles, if you brought one with you, to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Before we jump in, just want to make you aware of a few things. Um, Last week I made uh, an announcement that uh, we needed some uh, financial help for a few projects that we started, uh, expanding our ministry space for our, uh, mostly for our youth to use, um, and upgrading some of our uh, AV equipment and sound equipment that has just reached 10 years old. And uh, some of you responded, and I want to say thank you for that. If you've not, uh, this is the last time I'm going to mention it, um, but we would love to have your help so that we can move forward in those areas. Second, this is uh, Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday marks the start of Holy Week. And this morning, if you're in our database uh, somewhere and we have your email account, we emailed you um, a devotional guide, and I encourage you to read it week to week as you walk through these last events of Jesus as he heads towards the cross. And so um, you read through those. We also have a a guide outside for your uh, kiddos to walk through as a family. But make this week special, I encourage you, as we focus on Jesus. This uh, is an incredible passage, John 10, and we can preach several sermons from it, and we might, Um, but we will kind of jump in. We started kind of a series last week inside the book of John called Jesus According to Jesus, And there's a lot of opinions about Jesus and who he is, and there's a lot of opinions from different religions about who Jesus is. What better way than to go straight to the source and ask Jesus about Jesus? So Jesus, in the book of John, makes these seven declarations or I am statements using the same phrases that God told Moses who he is. If you remember way back in Exodus, God speaks to Moses through a burning bush, which is this incredible thing of its own. He tells Moses his plans for the people of Israel who are under the slavery and oppression of Egypt. And he said, Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. And Moses, thinking, wow, God, that's a great plan. If you would have seen the power of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world, how in the world are we going to do this? They're never going to believe me. Who do I I tell them is sending me to go be their deliverer? And he says, I am that I am. 
a little vague. Thank you for that, God. So he goes back and tells them, I am is sending me to do this. Every one of my kids at some point in their faith journey have asked me the question, Dad, what is God like? And as they progress from concrete to more deeper forms of thinking, they wrestle with this idea of what is God like and how can, how can he live inside of me? I remember Hudson asking me that uh, last year on the way to school. Dad, if God is so big, he's so big, right? Yeah, Hudson, God is so big. Then how can he live inside of me? Wrestling with these questions. And surely these Hebrew children would ask their parents the same questions. They had seen limited forms of him, the God that can control the plagues or can send an angel of death, the God who can speak and they, could, they would literally hear him from the distant mountain, the rumbles on top of the mountain. They would see the, the, the fire by night and the cloud by day. They would see the presence of God hovering over the tabernacle, but still so vague asking the questions, what is God like? And Jesus really clears these things up with these I am statements. I am the bread of life we looked at last week. There's a lot of things you might be tempted to to run to to satisfy the longings of your own heart, but nothing will satisfy. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now you can go sow your wild oats if you want to, live however you want to, but in the end... There's only one thing that will bring real joy, real satisfaction to your life, and that's Jesus. And I love these I am statements, and not just for the kids, but for us as well. You know, it's hard to explain systematic theology to a kid, but it's easy to introduce them to a person. It's hard sometimes for me to wrestle with deep theological themes, but when I struggle, I always go back and just look at the person of Jesus. Today, we're going to look at this I am the good shepherd that Connor read just a minute ago. And we need to do some contextual work here because I'm going to take a chance and just bet that no one in this room has ever been a shepherd. That's not, uh, that's not on the job posting boards for your summer in college. You just need to be a shepherd for a little bit. But here, this is a very common theme, and when Jesus is using this vernacular, it would tie back to the Old Testament many, many, many times. Specifically, they would probably recall Psalms 23 of David talking about God as his great shepherd. But even more so, all of them had a relative that was a shepherd. They knew what it looked like. They knew, they knew the job. You see, a good shepherd found his wealth and how many sheep he had. You ask them what their worth was and they would say, I'm worth so many sheep, 734 sheep wealthy. And if you know anything about sheep, you might realize that they're not very smart creatures and they need to be carefully led and watched over and fed and protected. They're, they're the most helpless of all animals. They have literally no defenses there's just nothing threatening about a sheep. Uh, Ellie and I, my middle daughter, were riding uh, past Bozier High School and she saw that their mascot was the bear cat. And she said, is that even a thing? I was like, probably not, but that's probably pretty cool, a bear cat. 
combining, you know, the agility of a cat and the strength of a bear. That's cool. She's like, that's not real, Dad. And then same week, we went to North Dakota. They're the Griffins. Talk about not real. But how cool is that? That's just a cool mascot. No one has a mascot of a sheep because they, they're just not, they're just not going to do anything. No one's scared to go play the sheep. They're the most defenseless animal that there is. Constant, I, literally, you can Google this. I read an article when I was studying for this a few years ago. These sheep, they have no directional ability, and they just wander off at random. And at one point, a sheep was wandering off towards a cliff, and 1,499 other sheep followed this one sheep off the cliff. The first 500 of them died, and the other 1,000, because they had a cushy uh, bottom, <laughs> I'm going to get emails. Um, you know, the sheep are <laughs> covered in wool. They're kind of cushy, like landing on a mattress. Can you imagine 500 sheep just, you know, plunged to their death because they just have no idea what they're doing. That's why they've got to have a shepherd. And of all the things that Scripture could compare us to in Scripture, it's sheep. Not horses or bear cats. We're sheep. We've got no defenses in our own power against the enemy. We've got no directional ability in our fallen nature as to where we should go and what we should invest in and what our lives should be about. So Jesus here is telling us, and it's really, this is a really a parable about leadership. He says, hey, Come and follow me. I'm the good shepherd. Come and follow me. Now our culture is starving for good leadership. Who do we trust to lead us? Should it be religion and denominational entities? It seems like every day there's some story about some pastor somewhere that had this moral failure Maybe it's the celebrities or social media influencers and all that they endorse. But then again, this week, I just keep reading about these social media influencers that rise to fame and there's nothing in it and they, they, they commit suicide. They take their lives. Should it be our politicians, each claiming that they can bring America together and forge a new path ahead? But if you've been around a while, you know that it's just a cycle of Democrat and Republican and Democrat and Republican and a whole lot never really changes. Can we trust them? What about our parents? Caveat, teenagers in here, listen to your parents. But as adults, do we look to our parents and their wisdom from another generation to lead us in this generation? Is it the news? Is it the lobbyist? Is it the sports star? Is it the neighbor? Who do, we, who do we look to for leadership? Who do we trust to really lead us? And the more I look around, the more... If I can be honest with you, I feel like we're all living in this age of deep suspicion. When anyone makes the claim, hey, come and follow me to a vision of a better life. And I've been so jaded and so let down that when people even say that very thing, they, I'm just like, well, well, we'll see. One writer calls this attitude that's prevalent today the cocoon of suspicion. And I agree with that. 
But yet we long to be led for someone with real leadership and integrity to rise up and give us a clear vision for the future that we hope for, that we long for. But because we've been let down time and time again, we end up in this real state of confusion and even apathy. Who can you really trust to lead and care for you? Now in this context here, we're kind of jumping in and let me just explain what's been going on up to this point. Jesus is claiming, taking this claim of leadership, saying, I'm the good shepherd, come and follow me. We looked a few weeks ago at John 5, where the religious leaders of the day began to hate Jesus, and not just hate him, but hate him to the extent that they're looking for reasons to kill him. We want him dead. And as we walk through, and you can go back and look at this, in John 7, Jesus stands up at one of the Jewish festivals. Imagine Six Flags on spring break. People everywhere. And on the last day, Jesus stands up in the midst of them and he cries out, Scripture says, in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. What a claim. And that irritated them. Who does he think he is? And then the next chapter, John 8, is the woman called in adultery and the religious leaders drag her, catch her in the act of adultery and drag her to the feet of Jesus trying to trap him and get him to deny the Mosaic law. But Jesus knows the law better than they do. And the spirit of the law, you remember this, and he says, he who's without sin cast the first stone and they begin dropping their stones and going away. But it infuriated them, the mercy of Jesus. And then in John 9, Jesus heals a man that had been born blind, one of the most full of sarcasm. I love this. We're going to, pre, we're going to get a sermon on this. This guy who's, who's born blind in John chapter 9. And they don't like how Jesus healed him or the timing where it took place. And they hate Jesus for his power. It's this rising tension between Jesus and the religious establishment, those in control, those in power. And Jesus is offering his leadership and he's inviting all to follow him instead or as opposed to the religious leaders who were directly opposed to Jesus. And in this situation is where Jesus steps forward in John 10. You read earlier in the passage, he says, I am the door. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. Who would lay his life down for the sheep. You and I are going to be led by someone. Now who leads us? That's the real question. I think you got a couple options. By default, if you choose no one to lead you, you're just going to be led by culture. Whatever happens around you. You're like a car parked in neutral. Anyone that wants to come and push you either direction... Steal the car, it doesn't matter. If you don't have a person you're following, then you're just going to be tossed to and about, to, to, to and fro, as Paul says in Ephesians, by the different winds of teaching, by the different winds of culture. Whatever it feels, whatever the influencers say, whatever the news tells us, they have a narrative behind them and we'll just be swept up in culture. I had a lot of fun actually reading about this. As culture has changed over the past 50, 60, 70 years. And culture gives you the illusion of freedom, giving you the choice between two bad outcomes. This is called, a term sociologists use called choice architecture. That they're making the choice for you. 
And they quote this study of this uh, lunchroom in, in, in Georgia, I think it was, where they went into this lunchroom and the kids had the choice. You want, you know, cookies or cake with your lunch? And they would get to choose. Well, they were going to try to make it healthier. And then they asked the kids, do you want cookies or fruit? Well, of course, any smart kid is going to pick the cookies. But then they removed that choice away. And then they had the choice of, do you want a banana or an orange? The choice architecture, they put the two choices before them. It's an incredible study. Like the kids in the, in the, in the elementary school lost like 20% of, uh, of their o- obesity rate just from that one small decision. This is, this is choice architecture. And the culture is giving this to you all the time. This is, you know, most of the time it's two choices between two bad ideas. And so we, we use the phrase, I'm going to choose the lesser of two evils. Do you want uh, arsenic or anthrax? Well, both of those sound pretty terrible. And if we're not careful, this is, this is actually where we're headed. This is the choice in our political seasons, one we just came out of. We saw this divisive culture just rise up on every level, not just on the presidential level, on every level. I remember several years ago, we were voting for police juror, school board, I don't remember what it is, but the candidate who was running actually came to my house, and I like that. He came to my house, and we uh, chatted about some ideas on the front porch, and I was like, man, this, this seems to be stand-up dude right here. I think I'm going to vote for him. And then weeks went by, and we're getting closer to election day, and, um, and y'all might remember this, but I don't, I don't remember who was behind this, but we were getting these like glossy printouts. I mean, millions of dollars had to be spent trying to, like, influence my vote on a police juror or something. I don't even know what they do. And so I'd be getting all this stuff in the mail, and then the attack ad started coming. I'd already picked my guy. He came and talked to me. But then I started seeing these, like, you know, glossy pamphlets and gold leaf lettering about how evil this guy was. He was the love child of Hitler and Judas Iscariot or something, you know, like, oh, man, this is not good. I remember Ashley asking me Friday, so hey, we're voting tomorrow, who are we going to vote for? And I was like, I have no idea. I thought it was this guy, but evidently he's the spawn of Satan himself. We can't vote for him. All these things coming around. And this is how this works. This choice architecture put before us to influence the choice that we make. And this is what culture is doing. And most of this is happening behind the scenes. You have no idea this is even going on. I read this little book called Nudge that talked about this, and it... It will ruin your, your brain just to think about how major decisions have happened. And you might say, but that doesn't really even affect me, Luke. Oh, really? I mean, this past political season has brought division within families, has ripped friends apart, marriages apart. How, how's your soul really doing in the midst of this divisive culture? I'm just, gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm just not gonna follow anybody. I'm just gonna follow culture. And we could keep going. We could talk about propaganda or ad agencies or PR firms that hire the smartest engineers in the world to alter our opinion about whatever they're pushing. Every click, every ad, everything we purchase, all stored up in our profile so that they could influence us. Carefully cultivated to sway our opinion on everything from clothes to food to television to diet plans to retirement to medication. Literally, just this last week, I'm watching this, uh, I'm watching this TV commercial 
of this older guy and gal. I think it was, a, and it's a, it's a medication commercial. I think for hemorrhoids, of all things. And this lady's like riding in the fall with her husband on these bikes. They just look like they're having the best time. I had a little PTSD from quarantine life where we all rode bikes every day. But they're riding through the fall. And I'm like, oh, man, that's so nice. And, you know, I use some weird drug like named Erasol or something. I don't know what it is. You know, the, so we got these guys that are just driving. I'm, I'm watching this. I'm like, oh, that's kind of a peaceful scene in the fall. And you, you've heard these ads, right? And then they talk about all the side effects. Diarrhea for the rest of your life. Instant bleeding. You should, we're talking about this in my living room last night, and Ellie just starts quoting it. I don't know. She had seen it a couple. Yeah, instant bleeding. Possibly death. Maybe cancer. You know what? I'll just live with the hemorrhoids, man. Like, seriously. I mean, who even wants to ride a bike? This is just not that big a deal. I remember seeing a commercial in high school with, like, this really fit dude and all his friends on the beach. This beer commercial throwing a football. And the good life. And I was like, man. The high school, I want that life. Is that what you get to do when you grow up? You just get to throw footballs on beaches with pretty people? But that's not real life. All those things, again, carefully curated to make us choose this over that. That's what we are when we don't pick someone to lead. We're just going to be swept away with culture. The point is that culture is going to lead you if you let it. Always promising freedom and fun, but always bitter in the end. So the whole book of the Bible, Song of Solomon, talks about this. The richest and wisest man in the world. He can do anything he wants. He has hundreds of wives and hundreds of mistresses. He has all the wealth, all the homes. Anything he can possibly think of, he can have it. The closest I could even think of is the one time I went on a cruise and they had a 24-7 room service for free. How awesome is that? You wake up at 2 in the morning and you want goat cheese pizza? Boom. That's a pretty good life. This is the life Solomon had and he had it all the time. And he gets to the end of his life and what does he say? It's all vain. Everything under the sun is vanity. Chase after it if you wish. And we can even look at Solomon in his own life through, the, sorry, the book of Ecclesiastes. He can chase after all of these things and at the end everything is vanity. And you see it in his own life. As his family is wrecked, his leadership is wrecked, even the country he leads will divide. Because he did not lead well. Well, maybe if we can't choose that, let's choose religion. We'll, we'll follow religion. We're wise on culture. We're going to just rely on religion. But whether it's the abuse of power, the shifts in theology, a moral failure around every corner, or some pastors or shepherds leading through shame or guilt, environments based on abuse and coercion, this is the actual context that Jesus is speaking in as he Calls them the hirelings. Look at the passage with me again. In verse 12. He who is a hired hand. That's hireling in the King James. And not a shepherd who doesn't own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. 
And the wolf snatches them and they scatter. And he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. This is an indictment on the religious leaders of the day. Every commentator I read had this direct connection to the prophecy in Ezekiel 34. And I want us to read it. And it's, it's a whole chapter. I just took a little snippet out of it. Thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? But you eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with their wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you've ruled over them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And this is the exact concept, context that Jesus is in. Again, this teaching comes right after Jesus had healed a man born blind. Flip over there to it. And, and, uh, in John chapter 9... Verse 24, this is not on the screen, but I want you to see part of this. We're going to come back to this eventually. So for the second time, the religious leaders are going to call on the man, and they're going to question him, the man who had been blind. And they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He's talking about Jesus. And he answered, this is the sarcasm, I love it. Whether he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know is though I was blind, but now I see. And they said to him, what did he say to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already, but you wouldn't listen the first time. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, why is this an amazing thing? Why this is an amazing thing? You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him. They're so furious. And they answered him, verse 34, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. The shepherds that are supposed to provide and supposed to bring together. Yet we see these shepherds, these modern day religious leaders, really fulfilling the prophecy of Ezekiel 34. Instead of bringing them in, what happens to this man? They cast him out. The call of God for the shepherds who lead his sheep, lead the sheep of God, lead the family of God, is to lead with godly vis vision and hearing from God, from the word of God. And you lead from the word, the people of God. And listen, there's always a balance. If you're ever going to find the right shepherd to lead, there's always going to be a balance of grace and truth and humility. That is going to be... As, as scripture says, that's, that's the way you lead because that's the nature of God. 
But if you don't lead with godly vision, instead of leading from the front, you have to push from behind using coercion and fear and shame as the driving force to get people to do what you want them to do. But when the shepherd pushes from behind, the sheep scatter. And when the sheep scatter, you've got to enlist the dogs to go round them up. And this is the environment that Jesus is speaking in. He's saying, I'm the good shepherd. You want to come follow me? You can follow culture if you want, but you know where, that, you know where that's going to end up. You can follow these religious leaders, but did you see just what they did yesterday with the man that was born blind? Literally forced him out. You might be thinking, well, Luke, you know what? I'm just, you know, forget, forget culture and, and, and forget religion. I'm just going to lead myself. Let me just promise you that's not going to work out well. You can't trust the media. You can't trust culture. You can't trust the political leaders. You can't trust the religious leaders. I'm just going to lead myself. But the problem with that is scripture says that at the very core of who we are, we're slaves to sin. Remember James said, even if you're not enticed by some kind of temptation out there, we're going to entice ourselves into sin. That our heart is wicked above all else. Romans says when that sin is in our life that we, we, are, we, are, we are like uh, the blind walking in darkness, not knowing the left from the right, and yet we're saying we're going to lead ourselves. The addictions that embarrass us, the trauma from our past that plague us. I had lunch several months ago with, with, with a friend, the most successful friend that I, that I know. He grew a company to several million dollars. He retired at like age 35. He's got everything that he wants. And we met at lunch and I said, man, how's it going? And he's like, man, I'm miserable, Luke. He went off to talk about his addiction to pornography and lying to his wife and losing his kids. Through the, through the eyes of the world, he's the most disciplined, self-motivated leader in the world. And yet he's just a mess. Trying to lead yourself would be like building your house on the sand. And you know what? It might look good for a while. It might actually look just like the neighbor's house. And you got the, you got the wood and you made it all straight and you got the shutters on it and you painted it your favorite color and it's just a great day. I'm leading myself. I'm pulling myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm killing this until the storm comes. And the storms are going to come. 2020 was quite a storm for a lot of us. And we really saw what the foundation was built on. This is where Jesus steps in and he just pleads with such humility to follow him. I am the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. Why is he good? One we see he's good because he values the sheep. He's willing to lay his own life down if needed. He's not some hireling who only is with us until things get difficult. No, we have this promise that he will be with us to the end. And look at the life of Jesus. Look at how much that he values the sheep. What, what does Jesus spend his life doing? Hobnobbing with the religious elite? No, he's serving the broken He's pouring his life into the sick and destitute, the broken and lost and the overlooked. This is Jesus healing and restoring and dining with. 
He values the sheep. Friend, can I just remind you how much God loves you? The full extent of that love was shown through the person of Jesus. Remember, Hebrews says he's the exact representation of the Father. And Jesus is just pouring his life into people again and again and again. He values the sheep, but he also knows the sheep. He doesn't just value them because of their worth. In this day, sheep were worth a lot. Their wool was, everything about the sheep was worth this, was was worth a lot. But he doesn't value the sheep just because of their worth. He knows them and they know him. I love this. My sheep know me. They know my voice. Jesus knows us. He knows our scars and our sin and our trauma. He knows the lies that we've been telling, the things that happened that were unfair in our life. He he knows all of it. And because he knows all of that, he knows what we need. This is the good shepherd that loves us and cares for us. He knows us. Flip over to Psalms 23 real quick if, if we can, if we've got time. Such a comforting passage of scripture. Maybe the most famous picture of God from the Old Testament as the great shepherd of the sheep. David writing the psalm was a shepherd. He knew what it was like to be a shepherd. He writes this poetic song. Imagine a mama singing over her baby at bedtime. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Isn't that all? It's like a toddler who won't nap. You know that they're going to be a nightmare if they don't nap. How about a grown man who doesn't know how to rest? Slaving at work, trying to prove his own worth to himself. The good shepherd makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Don't we all need this? Haven't you, like me, experienced soul fatigue this last year? We need the restoration of our own soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness, leading us in the way that we should go. We don't know where to go at the fork in the road, and we're trying to figure out this job or that job or this college or that uh, college or this friend or that friend, but he leads us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit for his namesake. He's our guide leading us to the right path. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And friend, you will too. At some point, you're going to walk through difficulty. Where there seems to be no real light at the end of the tunnel. But even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What a beautiful picture. Surrounded on every side in this valley by the enemies. And yet there's the picture of the righteous man who's following the shepherd, the good shepherd. Just throwing out a picnic, man. One commentator said this, this is the condition of God's servant, always in spiritual conflict, yet always a spread of the table before him.
you anoint my head with oil, talking about healing or even the presence of the Holy Spirit, my cup overflows, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This beautiful picture of God, our chief shepherd in front of us, And then behind us, goodness and mercy all the days of my life. Friends, what would it be like, what would the world be like if we really followed the great shepherd? Verse 27, not in the passage that we read, but of of John 10, says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus' whole life was tending the flock, healing the sick, and strengthening the weak. His leadership was one of washing feet and welcoming the outcasts and blessing and loving those with sexual brokenness. Where would I be if I hadn't let Jesus lead me? What would happen if I just followed my own ambition? It wouldn't be a good place, I promise you that. There would be no peace in my soul. I am my own shepherd and I want. There's no peace in my soul. There's no still waters. The valley of the shadow of death without comfort. War with my enemies instead of a banquet spread before their presence. Instead of goodness and mercy, there would be unholy ambition and fear following me all the days of my life. And this is the story of many of you in this room that you've tasted that life and now you have submitted to the lordship and leadership of Jesus. And even though you don't understand all the things and maybe even with some suspicion still in your heart and doubts lingering in your mind, you say, Jesus, I hear your voice, your invitation, and I want to follow you with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. One of the religious leaders of the day asked Jesus, Jesus, what's the most important commandments? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. What does it look like to follow the Lordship of Jesus with my mind? With all the questions and all the arguments that mount themselves against God and his word. Jesus, I'm following you when it comes to my mind. What I meditate on and think about and consider most worthy. Jesus, I need you to help guard my mind. To renew my mind. To follow the leadership the shepherding of Jesus with my heart, with all my emotions and all I love. Jesus, I would let you reorder my loves. I want to love what you love with my soul. Lord, I know only you bring satisfaction to my soul. I've chased after the other things and it leaves such a bitter taste with my strength. Lord, use the abilities that you've given me, the talents that you've equipped me with to build a kingdom that won't fail. That thieves can't break in and steal. That really lasts the test of time. With your relationships. Friends, what would it look like if you just followed the Lordship of Jesus in your finances, in your relationships, in your occupation, in your free time, and what your family does on the weekend? I've told you this story many times. I, I, would, I would go to my dad often when I was young and I would have a problem with a bully at school or an unfair this or that and 
My dad would always say, well, Luke, what does God's word say about that? That's following the shepherding of Jesus. What's God's word say about that? Let's go to the shepherd, the chief shepherd who knows what's best for me. And let's trust him even through painful processes. There's this picture that was floating around early within a within hundred years of Jesus. It was the picture of Jesus as a good shepherd. Maybe you've seen it with the, with the little lamb around his neck. But if you ever talked to a shepherd when, when the sheep would, would, would run away and you went to go find them, when you actually did find them, you couldn't corral them. They would, just, they would just panic and just go everywhere. And so the good shepherd would have to literally form tackle the sheep to the ground, stun him a little bit, tie his legs up, throw him around his shoulders and walk him back to the place where he wanted to go. And this is the same thing he does with us, but we don't like it. The good shepherd tackles us to the ground. We're a bit stunned and bewildered and he ties our hands and feet up. And he says, God, what are you doing? This does not feel like the good shepherd. But he's doing what, what's best for us. Even when sometimes we don't understand it. We're just the sheep. He's the shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd that lays down my life for the sheep. And he didn't just say that. He actually did that. Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all, the sin, all our sin. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers are silent, he opened not his mouth. This is the beauty of the gospel. It's what we celebrate today, that the shepherd became a sheep so that we could become shepherds. He was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. peace. And with his wounds we're healed. Jesus, the shepherd that became the sheep, the very lamb of God, so that us lambs could become shepherds. And this is the role before all of us. As we take what Jesus has done in and through us and we extend it to the watching world. I want to pray for us. We're not doing communion today, but just if you would just make a little altar right there before you. And if you just ask the great shepherd, Jesus, our Christ and Savior, would you ask him just to speak to you and to your own heart? Maybe he would reveal some of the things, the areas of your life that you've not submitted to his leadership. Jesus, you can take salvation and you can take my finances, but don't touch my love life or my sexual ethic. Well, Lord, I'll give you this area, but not this one. No, it doesn't work that way. All of it comes un underneath the leadership and lordship of Jesus. 
And let me promise you, he'll do this in kindness if you'll just let him. Lord, what's an area in my own heart that needs to change, that I need to repent of, to bring before you, to reorder the loves of my life? Maybe there's some in this room and who have never stepped across the line of faith and given and trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They've been chasing after culture and all the other things. And yet, you hear this invitation from Jesus. Hey, there's nothing to earn and nothing to prove. Just come to me and let me lead you to what's best for you. Some of you have got some pain in from the past that you've never brought back to Jesus. You're holding on to it with both fists. You're not going to let him lead you through it. It's just too hard. Maybe you'd let go of that today. God, we love you. We thank you for the cross of Christ. And on this Palm Sunday, we set our eyes on Easter, but before we get there, there's something that's welcoming our view, and it's the cross of Christ. That Jesus, you went to Jerusalem to pay the debt of sin that that I couldn't pay, that we couldn't pay, and yet willingly You took our place. You took our sin and our shame and our guilt. And you promised us that if we would come to you, that you would give us life and life abundance. You would deal with our sin, wash us clean. Adopt us into your family. Make us your friends. Or would you do that today? Any in this room who've been playing religious games a long time. I pray today's the day, friends, that you would take a step of faith. And Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for what it means. We thank you that we're going to be celebrating Easter in a week from now and all the victory and celebration that it means for us. But this week, help us look seriously at our sin our heart filled with gratitude for what you've done for us. Because we know Sunday's coming. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray, amen.